diving into data. Diving, di diving, d data. Diving into data with T.C. Riley. Hello, 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 everybody, and welcome into another episode of Diving Into Data. I am your host, as always, T.C. Riley. Hope everyone's doing well out there and staying healthy. I'm really excited for our show this week. I've kind of uh, built it around a topic that is not only relevant, not only ties in with data and the economy, which, of course, we always sit on diving into data, but frankly, this is actually one of my personal just favorite topics in general. It's something I geek out about. So our episode this week is called The Final Frontier, The Commercialization of Space. Obviously, this ties in with the launch that was supposed to be this afternoon and is now scheduled for Saturday of the SpaceX Falcon rocket, but... We're going to dive into what I'm going to kind of generally consider the Space Roast 2.0. Um, we're going to quickly touch on the launch today and why that's important, why that's kind of a milestone moment um, in the overall kind of race back to space that we've been on pause for. Um, definitely for the last decade, and some people would argue for the last 30 or 40 years. Um, we're going to talk about really what's next in that industry. This is a new materializing industry that's going to have a massive market impact as we look forward over the next decade and decades. Um, potentially even a trillion dollar industry in the next decade, as some people are thinking. And we're going to touch on a little bit the COVID-19 impact of this industry. Can't get away from it. You know, we, on diving into data, avoid the COVID topic as much as possible. But as it relates to the space race and to our industry rapid fire segment of the week for transportation, the crash of the airline industry, it's impossible to avoid altogether. So sit back, relax, get beverage if you want to. Uh, otherwise, practice some social distancing, and let's dive into some data. So our first topic this week, again, I'm calling it Space Race 2.0. And uh, before I start, as always, I want to quote the sources that helped contribute to this lovely segment. Um, there's a great Market Watch article on the industry market outlook of the space industry. There is a CBS News article on the general future of the industry. And then a website I actually follow uh, for personal interest, Space News um, had a great article about how the small launch industry is being impacted by COVID. So those will be the three that I'm quoting today. So thank you to those publications for their contributions. What we're going to first start on, the reason I'm, I brought this up today and why space, why today, um, if you haven't been paying attention, NASA and SpaceX have a partnership in place for the first manned mission to space launched from the United States in almost a decade. So there is going to be a launch this afternoon. Um, today, Wednesday at, uh, I think it was 3.30 Central was the expected time. However, about 20 minutes before launch, they unfortunately had to scratch today's launch. Uh, they did some weather testing, um, believe it was something around electric fields around the launch pad. Something wasn't quite right. Obviously, in an event like this, um, something with the national history, we do have a couple um, space disasters and things of that nature. You want to be safe. You want to ensure the astronaut's safety first and foremost. So totally makes sense as to why they had to lay it as disappointed as I was and as much as I was looking forward to it. So now we're looking at Saturday afternoon for this. Um, before I really dive into the industry, I just have to geek out for a second here. If you know me personally, you know that space um, and, and subjects related to space are probably um, one of my biggest personal interests and hobbies. Um, if you want to get me talking on a tangent for hours on end, um, let's talk about the Fermi paradox and the Drake equation. Um, let's talk about theoretical physics. Let's talk about some of the incredible things Hubble's doing and the different uh, telescopes that are out there and things that are coming online um, in the next few years. But uh, we won't go too far down this path, but um, this is a topic that I love. So apologies again if we you hear a random tangent in today's story and you're like, 
what the heck does that have to do with the space industry and the data behind it? Just bear with me. Again, this is one of my favorite subjects along with sports, so I have a hard time staying on topic sometimes. But what we're here for is the actual data of this. Um, and we're talking about the data here. Really, we're talking about the economic picture, the industry, and the economy around space travel. So today's a really big deal because it's a huge step for the industry and the start, um, in my opinion, of true prioritized space travel and services um, when it comes to manned missions. Again, in the last decade, yes, there have been plenty of rockets going up. We've been deploying lots of satellites. There's been lots of other launches from the U.S. and the U.S. territories. However, we have not actually had a manned NASA mission um, since 2011 with Atlantis that went up. Um, in the last decade, pretty much any time America wants to send someone to space, um, probably to the International Space Station, um, they've been paying a hefty sum to send those pilot or those uh, astronauts to Russia and flying them on Russian rockets. So this is something that obviously uh, not only are there bigger geopolitical reasons that we'd love to have this ability um, back home, um, all you have to do is look at the start of the space race about 50 years ago um, to understand why. But um, a lot of the advancements that we need to make rely on this step and having these privatized companies um, not only run their tests and run launches and send up satellites, but actually doing manned missions, collaborations between NASA and private companies. Um, again, we've been working on this, what I'll call space shipping for a while, um, but we haven't been doing it with people. So uh, because this is not only American based, it's a huge story in America. It's the, the again, the start of NASA manned missions from the U.S. Um, but also, frankly, there's not a ton of news right now. Um, we're coming in the downswing of COVID. So um, really, a lot of the stuff going on is how, you know, things are recovering our rates spiking. Luckily, everything across the board has looked pretty good. Um, prayers that that continues to be the case. But there's a lot of eyes on this. Um, it, it's probably uh, one of the most public um, uh, space related things in our country, um, probably in close to a decade. So uh, this really has opened up a lot of discussion. A lot of the journals I follow, um, again, I mentioned I'm a huge space fanatic. So not only, um, some of these space publications, but also some of the economic financial data publications have started to take a deeper look into the space industry recently. And frankly, I, I knew again, I'm, I'm a, this is, I'm an enthusiast of this field, but I didn't even realize just how big of a market opportunity this is and how big this is going to become over the following decades. So back to that market watch article I, I mentioned earlier, what we're looking at is we were down at uh, the industry, the we'll call it the U.S. space industry. Um, and yes, we are lumping a bunch of things into that. I know we're probably oversimplifying it, but we're going to roll with that term because that's what the uh, sources I use today were uh, counting it as. But we're going to approach $244 billion um, in the industry this year, which is a lot of money. Um, that's up from $100 billion a couple years back. So we have steady growth here. However, the projections, depending on who you ask, are up to about $800 billion by 2030. So three, four times what we're looking at right now. Some Wall Street analysts, um, based on that CBS article I mentioned, are suggesting it'll break $1 trillion by 2030. Um, and then upwards of $1.5 trillion by 2040. That's obviously a lot of money. That's a big number. People recognize that. I think maybe um, people might have a little bit of a misconstrued uh, perception of that volume of money, given some of the stimulus bills for amounts around that that have just been released. But it's a ton of money. Um, again, $1.5 trillion by 2040. To give a general comparison, someone you think about, the worldwide automobile industry right now, so this is, this is not just the U.S., this is the entire world, is about $2 trillion dollars. We could be looking at an industry that is rivaling the automotive industry in terms of overall 
um, market within a couple of decades, which is nuts. Think about how many cars you see. Think about how many dollars go into the automotive industry. Um, and space could be there in a couple decades. Um, one other stat from the market watch that really stuck out to me is that commercial space investment is up 79% since 2009. Um, so the investments in this have almost doubled in the last decade, um, up 80%. Um, and this is just a kind of the tip of the iceberg of what's coming. Um, so when we talk about this industry in this market, what are we really talking about? Um, obviously, the big player, the government player here is NASA, um, funded by the government up until a decade ago. Um, pretty much everything that the U.S. ever did in space back to uh, JFK's bold proclamation and uh, efforts to get to the moon has been through NASA, funded by the government. Um, and that means that not only was NASA controlling the launches, training the astronauts, but they were building the rockets. They were maintaining all of the equipment. Um, but in today's market, there are a ton of other players. Outside of NASA, the two biggest that you're probably going to hear the most of are obviously SpaceX and Boeing. Um, but there are hundreds of other companies out there in this industry um, not only are there the rocket labs and other smaller launchers of the world, um, but obviously things like uh, Lockheed Martin um, are heavily invested in this industry kind of tangentially, if not directly. Um, and one of the interesting things that NASA did last year for the first time, I think they finally realized that we want to advance the U.S. space program. We want to advance what the U.S. is doing in space. Um, not only we aren't going to get into the whole Space Force thing right now, but the fact that we're creating a military branch around it kind of. Um, it gives us a hint that this is going to be an important area in the coming decades. Um, but what they did last year is they announced that they were partnering with two companies, Boeing and SpaceX, in order to actually have manned missions from the U.S. run by NASA. NASA is, you know, the uh, project manager, for lack of a better sense, but on SpaceX equipment, um, using SpaceX and Boeing almost as uh, a thing I've seen a million times now is space taxis. Um, again, I think that's a little bit of an oversimplification of what's going on, but um, they did contracts. They gave $4.3 billion to Boeing and $2.5 billion to SpaceX to launch this partnership. Um, significant amount of money, significant investment by the government. Um, so far in the early uh, running, SpaceX definitely is doing better than Boeing is. Um, they've struggled with some test launches. What the launch today is, again, this may be a little more detailed than you want. Um, the launch is uh, called Demo 2 is what they're doing uh, now on Saturday. Um, they did SpaceX did a test flight with an autonomously controlled craft um, where they're able to launch, go up, connect to the ISS, bring it back safely. Um, they also did some other intermediate tests in terms of communications and in terms of um, a couple of the escape systems. And this is what is considered the quote unquote final test for SpaceX is this Demo 2, which is an actual manned mission by NASA sending two astronauts up to the International Space Station. Obviously, they're not just going to run a test and go up there and do nothing. They're going to run a couple tests, do a couple things up there. Um, but getting them up there, getting them connected, getting them on the ISS safely, and then getting them back safely. Um, SpaceX has cleared a lot of these hurdles. Obviously, if you remember a few years ago, they were initially having some issue with their Falcon rockets, especially in recapturing the boosters and landing them. Um, those awesome videos you've seen of the rockets kind of landing themselves on this platform at sea. Um, again, something that blows my mind. The, the physics behind it are well beyond my grasp, um, but it's really, really cool that we can do that. However, Boeing's not doing as well. Um, they've had a lot of issues. They had to abort a test. Uh, I believe their Demo 1 launch um, was kind of canceled and scratched altogether um, due to the number of issues that they found in the kind of the pre-flight checklist. Um, it, 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 it opened some questions as to why Boeing's contract is 4.3 and SpaceX's is 2.5 when it seems like SpaceX maybe has a uh, 
little bit better grasp of what's going on. But again, we're not going to get into the logistics of SpaceX and Boeing. Um, I'm sure the fine folks at Boeing are working incredibly hard to do this. Um, but those are the two big players. But as I mentioned, um, they're not the only ones. There are tons of other little players in this market. Um, that's something we're going to touch on here in a second when we get down to the shakedown of the small launch industry is what's going to be the second segment today. Um, but we're talking about these big players, but what are we actually talking about doing? So why, why are we doing this? Why are we sending people to space? Um, why did we spend $7 billion um, with these two companies in order to do this? Is this really necessary? The quick answer is yes. Um, so what you've seen a ton of in terms of the, I'm call, I'll call it the services rendered by these companies, um, where a lot of these folks operate is cargo missions. Um, the deployment of satellites. Um, probably the best known example of this actually is also SpaceX. Um, it's their Starlink internet access. It's been in the news a lot the last few months. Um, what this is, is a uh, constellation, they're calling it, of satellites, a entire network of satellites that SpaceX is going to launch that have the goal of being able to provide internet access anywhere on Earth. Um, obviously, right now, you're limited to certain things um, from a ground-based perspective in terms of internet access, but it's going to create this satellite network, um, not too different than the old you know, satellite phone networks, even the uh, um, some of the traditional GPS, um, some of the, frankly, this modern GPS still um, relies upon. Um, but they're going to, uh, just so you give you an idea, they have 422 of these Starlink satellites currently in orbit. Um, that's a lot. Um, they are going to have probably 1584 is their target by late 2021 or early 2022. Um, so over 1500 satellites, that's a lot. That's nothing, though, compared to where they see this going in the next decade. Um, they already have approval um, through the government for, I believe, 12,000 satellites, and they just applied for an additional 30,000 satellites as part of this network. Yes, we could be looking at a, a conglomerate of almost 50,000 satellites um, in this Starlink network when it's fully built out and fully reaches a potential, which, yes, may be decades, but that's a lot of satellites. Um, we're not going to go down the rabbit hole today of, well, do we have room for all these? Can we manage all these? Can we safely ensure that all 50,000 satellites in addition to everything else we already have up orbiting the earth, are going to, uh, be able to play nice and not have any issues. Uh, we won't go down that. It's a very valid question, a valid point, but not one we'll broach today too much. Um, but again, these, these cargo missions and deployment of satellites are incredibly common, um, maybe incredibly too strong, but uh, it is something we see a lot of. There are a lot of players, and we're, again, we're going to dive into that industry a little bit more specifically um, here in a second. But um, some of the other big uh, players in the uh, services rendered field of the space industry um, are communication satellites. We talked about that, um, but also space tourism. Um, that is one that uh, it's a flash term. I don't realistically know. Um, that's probably not the goal of what we're going for. Yes, it would be cool if rich people can buy a ticket to space. Um, but I don't think that's really what we're going for. Um, however, NASA has come out and said that they have plans for a commercial space station, probably going to work with SpaceX and Boeing again, um, to get people up there. Um, but this would be a commercial space station that yes, is for tourism, but more is actually for research and science. Um, there are a ton of companies, especially things in the science fields, um, that uh, could really benefit from being able to test different things um, in zero gravity atmospheres or in zero gravity environments, pardon me, um, being able to run tests in space and see how different they are from the U.S., not to mention um, a lot of the calibration, some of the tests that are frankly nearly impossible here on Earth given all the radio interference, all the uh, electronics that we have and all the background buzz that that creates. Um, there's a lot of stuff you can do in space that doesn't have to deal with that. Um, 
So while space tourism, you're probably initially going to think of Richard Branson flying, flying another billionaire to the, uh, the ISS or some space station up there. Really, I think when we're looking at it, it's not the tourism aspect as much as the research aspect of it um, that has a huge interest. Um, again, we're going to get into uh, the fact that we only have a couple of bullet points here actually um, hints at the, uh, the next story, how the shakeout of that industry is going to play out. Um, but there are a lot of different things. Um, frankly, there are a ton of cost roadblocks to other applications beyond these right now. Um, that doesn't mean that there will be in the future. Uh, the exciting thing is with, with these advancements, with this technology, what we're going to be able to do is bring down the cost significantly. Um, again, being able to reuse parts of the rocket that SpaceX and Boeing are working on is a huge step towards that. Um, frankly, it's really expensive to build a space shuttle. It's not something you can just dole out money for, use once and scrap. Um, even when we're talking not even about the shuttle itself, but the boosters and everything that goes with it. So as we continue to grow, as with just about any economic model, um, we're going to see the price getting drowned further and further and further thanks to advancements, thanks to technology. And it'll be really interesting to see what other applications kind of spring up that right now, maybe they're a little bit cost prohibitive. It doesn't make sense to go to space to do X, Y, Z. But in a couple of decades, maybe it does make sense. Maybe we're doing a whole lot more. We're opening up um, a, uh, industries and uh, you know paths up there that we haven't even considered today. Um, I also, uh, it would be uh, remiss if we didn't mention that I think that um, the way we're going to see this play out is that what I'll call the ride sharing, going back to the Uber of space terminology that some people throw around, um, is a big option. Um, what I probably think is going to happen in this industry, as with a lot of other industries, um, we're going to shake down to a couple of major players that are going to serve as almost fairies. Um, again, today it looks like if you had to put your money, it'd be Boeing and SpaceX, but tons of other companies, tons of other opportunities. Um, and the last aspect of this story from the economic perspective, um, we're talking about industry growth. We're talking about a market that's going to triple, quadruple, um, even more in size over the next decade, job opportunities. This is a place that right now, um, frankly, we've actually started to see a little bit of an educational ramp up in these fields because um, obviously the education industry typically um, needs to train everyone going into these. So when we see a ramp there, we can expect a um, ramp up in actual workforce employees in the future. But there are going to be tens, if not hundreds of thousands of job opportunities in the space area in the coming decades. Um, unfortunately, I'm probably a little old to switch industries at this point, even though it would be a dream. Um, but uh, for some of the kids out there, um, maybe some of you out there who are just having kids or uh, your kids, your grandkids um, could very well um, have a, a job that's completely tied to the space industry and frankly, probably to things that aren't specifically available yet. So I mentioned this shakedown in the small launch industry. We're going to take a quick break real quick, and then we're going to come back and touch on um, kind of with this small launch industry, what that is, what we're talking about, a shakedown. Um, and then we're also going to wrap up today with our industry rapid fire segment as we've been doing. Again, this today, it's all about transportation, specifically the airline industry. So we'll be back in one second. We're back here on diving into data. So again, our main topic today has been all about the commercialization of space. Um, the last little subtopic of this 
um, is from that Space News article I mentioned, which is talking about the small launch industry. So when we're talking about small launch industry, um, this is going to be completely different than what we were just talking about with Boeing and SpaceX trying to get people up there. What we're talking about is smaller independent companies um, that are just solely um, looking at launching satellites into space. Um, very kind of low level, uh, much lower risk, obviously, devoid of uh, human uh, occupants um, on those. And what we're looking at is, frankly, there are too many of these companies, according to a lot of people. Um, a current count I saw was like 113, um, definitely over 100 small launch companies that are currently in business that are either already sending you know satellites and payloads up there or they're working on doing so in the near future. Um, and, and some people are thinking that, frankly, uh, this isn't this isn't a sustainable model. It's not going to be good for a lot of these companies. So um, one of the quotes here is from actually from Peter Beck, who's the CEO and founder of Rocket Lab, one of those smaller companies that actually has uh, I'd kind of put them on the tier between these real small companies and the SpaceX's of the world. Um, but what he said in his quote was that too many companies are going after a market opportunity that is realistically only big enough for two. Um, so he's referring to only two companies are actually, when all this shakes out, are going to be able to make this a profitable endeavor. Um, and the industry is going to consolidate from over 100 down to two. I think that might be uh, cutting it down a little too much. Um, but it's not unrealistic to think that there's only going to be five, maybe 10 max companies that are going to be doing this in a couple of decades. Um, frankly, the, the economics just don't work out. There isn't enough demand um, for the amount of supply that we have. Um, and what he specifically mentioned um, was that this actually might be the next six months might be the uh, age of reckoning for a lot of these companies, which might be a little bit sooner than anyone anticipated. Um, that actually ties in with the COVID outbreak that recently happened. Since so many of these companies rely almost solely on venture capital funding at this point um, in order to get set up and be able to run and maintain their business and make advancements, do the research, do the test flights, do everything they need to do. He's really expecting that all venture capital funding in general, frankly, um, but specifically those around these companies, probably the next year, year and a half is going to dry up a lot after COVID. Um, a lot of these cap, uh, venture capital funding uh, companies are not going to have the funds to, um, frankly, pour a bunch of money into research and development in these tiny companies. Um, frankly, this is probably going to give the, again, the Rocket Labs, the SpaceX, the Boeings of the world a huge leg up and allow them to kind of maintain and hold control of that, um, just trying to stranglehold the top. Um, but really uh, what he boiled it down to, and again, this is from Peter Beck, the CEO and founder of Rocket Lab, um, is too many people are envisioning a huge demand for launches when that's just not realistic. Um, we mentioned the last one. I, I was going to go through and give you guys all these use cases for services rendered. We only really had two or three bullet points. Um, right now, outside of transporting um, folks to the International Space Station, potentially space tourism, both from the actual tourism aspect and also um, from a research or science aspect. Those are really what people are uh, you know, considering now and that's feasible right now. And while there is some demand for that, there's not a ridiculous amount of demand. Um, again, uh, yes, a lot of uh, you know universities and researchers would love to go up into space and run X, Y, and Z experiment, but they're not going to have the money to, frankly, now or anytime in the near future. Um, there's tons of people, myself included, who would die to be able to go visit space even for a couple of hours. I don't have a couple million dollars laying around. Um, if I do, me and my wife need to talk because I'm not aware of that money. Um, but uh, the path forward that he sees um, is that this industry is going to be kind of heavily reliant on government funding for projects that require launches. So this doesn't necessarily mean um, just like this NASA 
contract with Boeing and SpaceX, um, but different projects that are going to require more satellites or more research to be completed in space, granting and funds that are able to be um, uh, increase the demand for these launches. If there's a significant enough increased demand, it kind of goes back to basic supply demand economics. Obviously, we have, frankly, way too much supply, not nearly enough demand right now. It's kind of messing up prices, messing up the quantity available in the market. But if we're able to shift that demand up, um, again, Peter Beck, the CEO and founder of Rocket Lab, seemed to indicate that he'd think it would be from a uh, government funding. Um, then maybe we see that increased demand. Um, but really what this boils down to um, is that the industry right now is way too fragmented in this small launch space. Um, people are trying to specialize in satellite buses, in payloads, in launching ground systems, etc. Um, and there just isn't a market to support individual entities for all of these or even specialized entities. Um, so we probably need to see that industry consolidate a little bit. Um, frankly, in the next six months, we might see a lot of players, uh, you know, uh, uh, non-voluntarily drop out due to the lack of funding after um, the COVID outbreak. Um, but when we're able to consolidate down to a couple companies, whether they're specialized, whether they're more generalized, whether it's SpaceX and Boeing owning every aspect of this process, um, or a different company controlling the launches and the ground controls, a different company for payloads, a different one for satellite buses. Um, when we see that, the market's really going to be ripe. And that's where we're going to see this in the future. And again, um, frankly, I, not only do we see this consolidation, but as we mentioned, we also see a huge boom in this industry. Um, again, I, I don't give stock advice. Do not take any financial advice for some random guy on a data podcast. But I will say that personally, I'm probably going to throw a little money in some SpaceX stock pretty soon here because um, I, I could see this being an absolutely huge opportunity and really, really taking off over the next decade or two. One more quick break and we'll be right back with our industry rapid fire segment on transportation and the troubling airline industry. All right, welcome back to Diving Into Data. This is your host, T.C. Riley. Our last segment, as it's been for a few weeks in a row now, is going to be our industry rapid fire segment. Even though we touched on transportation a couple weeks back in this, today we're going to touch on specifically the airline industry, um, kind of within that transportation realm. Um, a lot of this information I got for this is from a New York Times article I was reading um, from a couple weeks back. And uh, unfortunately, uh, things have not gotten any better since this article was released back on, I believe, it was May the 10th. Um, but the title of the article kind of tells you everything you probably need to know. Um, the airline business is terrible. It will probably get even worse. Boy, that's an optimistic headline if I've ever read one. Um, so what we're looking at here, and again, we don't want to get too much into COVID. I'm sorry. Um, but COVID has truly wrecked the airline industry. It's wrecked a ton of industries, but the difference is that... Um, Nearly every, a lot of other industries out there have a path to recovery. Frankly, some are already well on that path to recovery, which is awesome to see as the economy reopens. However, the airline industry does not have nearly as uh, bright of an outlook. Um, it's given the nature of the business, the nature of flying, the nature of this disease and social distancing, everything goes with it. Um, they're in for some darker days, even though the days are already really dark. Um, some numbers we wouldn't be diving today if we didn't throw some stats at you. Right now, domestically, on the major American airline carriers, they're averaging 23 passengers a flight. Um, 
That's that's absolutely shocking. That's down 94% year over year from what they were. Again, they were pretty much at capacity at this point last year. Um, we're at 23 passengers a flight. And while that does great stuff for legroom and probably actually allows some social distancing, man, that is terrible for airlines. Um, about half of the 6,200 airplanes that make up um, the major U.S. Uh, airlines uh, fleets are parked at airports, parked at random desert airstrips, um, parked left and right, aren't even in service. So again, we're, we're only looking at using half of the planes. And if you need to know why, go back to that 23 passengers a flight number. Um, the economic impact of this is absolutely staggering in this industry. They're losing on average 350 to $400 million a day. $400 million a day. Man, what I could do with that. Um, but the issue is that for a lot of these expenses, um, there's, they have payroll, they have rent for gates with airports and they have these long-term contracts they can't get out of. Obviously the, you know, the airports still need their money. Um, so they need to pay their employees, uh, aircraft maintenance. While yes, maybe some of these planes aren't, you know, being used right now. Maybe you see a little dip in that. You still need to maintain aircrafts. You still need to meet all safety regulations. It's not like you can cut corners, um, when you're doing something like the airline industry. So there are a ton of expenses, um, and frankly, they're just an industry and in a position where it's really hard to see a clear path, um, even in a lot of other industries where it might be trouble to see. Um, you know, let's think about sports, for instance, another thing we always love talking about. Yes, it's going to be difficult for professional sports to fully get back up and to be full stadiums, but maybe you have options of playing um, sports in empty stadiums. You can still get some money from streaming, television, so on and so forth, right? Um, maybe you can even get, you know, a, a way of setting it up. Um, where you have fans in certain sections or, you know, socially distance in the crowd and make that work. Um, but you really need to get creative to social distance on a flight um, unless it's pretty much empty. Again, right now, 23 people uh, per flight, maybe we're able to make that work. But again, that's not a sustainable model. Um, immediately, what we then go to is, OK, well, what's this going to do for the downstream impacts? The fact that they're losing all this money and things are so bad. Um, well, a lot of them, the first instinct is, well, they're going to drop prices. Airlines are cheap. Um, at least there's a little bit of positive data, people looking at spring break or summer 2021, again, still a year out, um, but at least looking at some upticks in flights there, maybe potentials there, but that's a long way out. Um, do you discount those flights? If you discount them too much, you're already losing a bunch of money. Okay, well, maybe airlines need to hike prices. Well, it's already dangerous to fly, so am I really going to pay you know a ridiculous amount of money for an airline ticket, knowing the risk I'm also taking there? You see the dilemma and how kind of frankly bad of a situation it is. Um, obviously, the uh, if you've been paying attention to the news, a big part of the uh, federal bailout um, was for the airline industry and to help kind of hold that over. Um, however, half of that money is for payroll and that's going to be gone by September. Um, that's not good. So <laughs> when September hits, what are we going to do? Because realistically, we don't see an ideal um, solution to at least from the airline industry side of this things getting back to normal. Um, airlines have started making really deep cuts, cuts that they couldn't really imagine a couple years ago. Um, all the lounges are closed in the airports. Not only is, you know, they can kind of hide behind the, well, social distancing being safe is the reason we close them. No, those cost a lot of money. Um, business travelers who typically use those aren't really traveling right now. Um, so they're closing those lounges from an employment uh, perspective. They've asked a ton of people to take pay cuts. They're freezing hiring, they're freezing bonuses, they're furloughing employees, um, they've slashed their advertising and tech budgets. Advertising for airlines is down something in the ballpark of 90% um, compared to a couple months ago, which again is just crazy to think about. Um, 
And they're also even postponing updates and renovations to planes. Um, they've kind of accepted they can't really make a heavy investment in their capital equipment right now. Um, for instance, American Airlines, one of the biggest ones, but also one of the biggest airlines with the most debt, um, is taking, they have about 40 750, Boeing 757s um, that were scheduled to kind of roll out of service in the next three or four years. They're just going to take them all out right now ahead of schedule. Not only do they, again, not really have a demand for planes right now, unfortunately for them, um, but they don't really have the money to continue to service these and then slowly roll them out. So they're just going to pull those back right now. Um, one of the other things beyond again, the, the maybe logical common sense things that's an issue here is that it's going to, they're going to have a hard time adjusting because think about when you book a flight, most flights are booked well in advance. Um, not only are you booking that flight in advance, but the, um, airline has deals with all the different airports, all the different hubs that they travel to and from, um, for those gates and for those flights. And those are booked well in advance. When the COVID outbreak happened, uh, started to happen, I guess, back in March, um, they couldn't just stop everything right away. It wasn't that easy. It wasn't that simple. They had some um, kind of, you know, sunken costs there that they had to continue. Um, and again, I don't want it to be all doom and gloom, but frankly, this is a story that I looked for a while. I'm having a hard time fighting a bright angle. It's going to be a, uh, it's going to be a rough couple uh, months, years for the airline industry. It's going to be curious to see, frankly. Um, for those who remember, you know, Pan Am and Trans Air and things like that back in the day, um, much smaller um, kind of uh, economic crises have happened and knocked airlines out of business pretty easily. So what is this going to do? Um, I think maybe the, the best way to sum it up is a quote from Southwest CEO Gary Kelly, um, who said, our goal is always to thrive. Right now, it's imperative to survive. Um, that's all they're trying to do. Hopefully, these airlines can make it through. Um, but it's going to be very interesting in a few years to see where the airline industry shakes out. That's all we have time for today. Um, appreciate you guys joining us again on our episode, The Final Frontier, The Commercialization of Space. Um, hopefully I didn't get too deep into the space talk for you folks. And uh, uh, we touched on a lot of the Space Race 2.0 items um, kind of fueled by the launch that was supposed to take place today. Um, with SpaceX and NASA. Um, but more specifically, we looked at kind of what's next in this industry and how big this industry is going to become. Again, the number that just I can't get over um, is probably 2030, a trillion dollar industry, half the worldwide auto um, market, um, and 1.5 trillion by 2040. Um, we talked about the different services rendered, um, what they are doing, why are we doing this, um, but also how maybe there's a little bit of an overpopulation right now in the small launch industry, um, some of the lower level uh, providers here. Again, looks like maybe in the next six months or so, those could get um, kind of cleaned up and consolidated, but um, a lot of interesting stuff in the space industry. Um, and then for our industry rapid fire segment, we uh, uh, had some bad news for those folks in the airline industry that things are bad. Um, they're losing a lot of money. And unlike a lot of other industries, it's really hard to see a clear path to recovery and redemption in the airline industry. So um, this is going to be one we're going to continue to really closely monitor over the coming months and years. Anyway, I appreciate everyone's time. I hope you're staying healthy out there. And until next time, this is TC Riley signing off. See ya.